Peter. Hello, Basala. Thank you very much for finding time to join me. What time is <laughs> nice it where you, you are? What time is it where you are? It's 3 p.m. 3 p.m. Ah, okay. <laughs> so Friday afternoon, you're winding down. It's nearly the weekend. Yes. Brilliant. Yeah. So why don't you um, introduce yourselves and take us through your work? So we're going to be talking about dementia-related missing incidents over the next half hour. Mm -hmm. Hector, why don't you go first? Okay, sounds good. Uh, my name is, hello everyone, my name is Hector Perez. I'm a postdoctoral fellow in the um, School of uh, Public Health Sciences at the University of Waterloo uh, in Canada. And uh, what I'm doing uh, right now, it's a project uh, uh, to create safer communities for persons with dementia. We call it the Dementia Friendly First Responders. That's one of our um, uh, projects that we have. And I'm working to understand why missing incidents involving persons with dementia occur in our communities. Actually, I'm at the moment uh, with one of our uh, police organizations that we partner with to understand why these incidents happen and how can we prevent and inform, inform practice and policy. And when, when we talk about missing incidents here, because of course, this is the thing with dementia, because missing incidents, particularly in certain forms of dementia, could be people losing time. You know, they sit down and then at nine o'clock and it's 12 o'clock. But we're not talking about missing incidents from people's memory. We're talking about people who go missing, Correct. physically Correct. missing. They, they, you know, they, they go. Good. I thought that was the case. Basola, what do you want to introduce yourself as well? Okay, so hi, everyone. I'm Busola Dekoya. I'm a registered nurse and I'm a PhD student in the School of Public Health Sciences at the University of Waterloo. I'm in my third year. <laughs> and I'm also a member of the Aging and Innovation Research Program at the University of Waterloo. That's uh, Hector and I work together uh, with a supervisor, Dr. Lulu. My research, my PhD thesis is going to be looking at our assistance for missing persons living with dementia. So it's a way of mitigating the risk of persons living with dementia going missing. So I'll be looking at the policies, our policies and programs for these alert systems are being developed and implemented, not only in Canada, I'll also be looking at how they're being implemented in Scotland. Wow, that's a that's a connection. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and and I, I hope that's gonna result in a trip to Edinburgh and the Highlands. That, that is the plan. That is the plan. <laughs> Wait until it's the summer. I mean, it's bad enough that it rains all the time anyway, but definitely don't do that over the winter. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, no, well, it's I not very different. Uh, no, you should always, I feel you should go to Scotland both in the summer and winter because it's a beautiful place and you get a very different experience at both times a year. So that that's amazing uh, to have that connection as well. So um, are you both going to talk together about about practically what you've done. I mean, we we had a session earlier on today where they were talking about facilitating people who often had uh, outdoor leisure activities, for example. And the problem was is that the minute somebody was diagnosed dementia, there was this attitude that you you know it's too too risky for you to be allowed to go for a run on your own now, or you can't go for a long bike ride. And that there we we tend to be a little bit protective. And I think particularly as people progress as well, that can be you know, worse. I mean, we hear stories um, of strategies being used, like putting curtains over doors to stop people going outside or putting black doormats that, you know, certain types of dementia can perceive a black doormat as a hole in the floor, so they can't go through certain spaces. Um, all of this to, to, to curtail what 
somebody's concerned that they're going to wander away and go missing. So what, what does your research, what brought you to do the research you're doing in the first place? What is it, what's the issue and, and how have you, how are you looking at that in Waterloo? Hector, do you want to take the lead on this and you can sure. work between you and <laughs> Absolutely. Well, first of all, because it's a, a topic very close to my heart, uh, my mother, uh, my grandmother, Mary, um, uh, she she was living with dementia. And and then um, also because um, uh, we know that these incidents involving persons living with dementia are very common. So in in it, there are more common than we might thought um, in terms of um, common understanding is that uh, persons living with dementia will wonder, uh, six in 10 persons living with dementia will wonder during their course of the disease. Well, that's according to Alzheimer Association, but we don't know what the, this information is coming from. And the reality, when you look into the, well, my work is uh, primarily with data, right? When you look through the data and you analyze this, uh, you notice that uh, this is uh, not the case. And that common assumptions, Adam, that you just mentioned that uh, we can put in place some measures, uh, we thought like, um, some people that have this assumption that uh, um, um, a person living with dementia might be more safe or in a facility or in a care facility or in a hospital, but they go missing from hospitals. And you will be scared of knowing how much or how many cases we have uh, of person living with dementia who went missing from a facility, which uh, supposed to have all these measures in place. Yeah. And is that because, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting your questions already. Is that because of the unfamiliar environment that people started in? And also as well, is this how much isn't reported? I, I'm going to bring this back because Chris and Jada at the start of the day, who uh, Chris has vascular dementia, he's had it a while, and I, you will have been tucked up in bed when they were talking at 11 hours ago. Um he did a podcast with us at the uh, European conference recently, and he talked about how he went to take out, you don't know if you have these in the UK. So he went to take the dustbins out. He went to take the trash out. And our trash is on wheels. It's trash cans on wheels. And he said um, he didn't really realize what was going on. But before he knew it, he, he'd walked like a mile. He, he, he'd wandered away with his trash can and, and hadn't realized that this was happening. And that's not going to get reported. You know, Jane didn't, I mean, somebody found him, brought him back. It didn't necessarily get reported. I don't know. Because once somebody's got their diagnosis and they go home, their interaction with healthcare is so infrequent that things like that could be happening all the time. It's just that it doesn't get recorded. It's not reported. Um, I don't know. So how, how do you look at this then? How do you measure? How do you count if you like it? Well, very quickly, you're right. Some cases are not reported. And even when it's an actual or a real case where a person lived with dementia uh, went missing, uh, it's not reported because there's a lot of stigma associated with it, right? The families might be afraid or to be ashamed of, you know, of the uh, conversations around uh, why it is happened, right? And, it, you know, it's associated with guilty, embarrassment, and that kind of thing. So sometimes it's even... Uh, the small things or the, these incidents that you described just right now uh, that are not reported, but all, there are other uh, higher order incidents that are not uh, reported. So that's a, that's a common issue, yeah. And, um, but Sally, I mean, with, with your nursing background, I mean, it's fascinating you come at this from a nurse, like nursing background. How do you, how do you look at this? How, how, what's, what's your part in this, this research? Yeah, just to kind of allude to what Hector said, uh, for sure the stigma is there, but I think people still lack that education 
on what dementia is all about, the risks associated with dementia. And I will take you back to wondering. The term itself is very complex, is debatable, and it carries negative connotations. So when you hear that someone uh, wonders, automatically people start thinking, oh, they go missing. And it's really not the case. So I will tell you a little bit more about what I've done during my master's program. So I looked at wandering behavior from the perspectives of persons living with dementia in long-term care homes. So it all started when I started working in long-term care homes and I noticed that uh, one of the challenging behaviors uh, that we commonly see in people living with dementia is wandering behavior. And so when uh, during takeover or handover and they tell you that you have like about four or five patients, you know, to look uh, to look uh, to care for and they mention that that person is a wanderer. So it's like automatically that instinct that I want to make sure that this person doesn't go missing. I want to make sure that this person uh, it's like safe, you know, that's that's automatically instinct that's kicks in. And so I started looking at. So why is it like this? So. For my master's, I decided to address that gap in the literature because I was looking at different reviewing literature and I found out that nobody has actually, well, nobody, I think one study in the UK uh, only focused on intervening persons living with dementia to ask about the wandering behavior. So I decided to take that word and to kind of uh, gather uh, to, to, to talk to residents living uh, with dementia in long-term care homes to really ask them, what does that behavior mean to them? So I did something they called a walking interview where I observed their walking patterns and as well as asked them questions about their working, where they're going. And it's like really very interesting to find out that uh, they describe the behavior, which we refer to as working, which is actually walking. They find it to be very, for most participants, they reported that they found it as enjoyable. They find it um, as really for socialization because they just want to interact with other people. From, for some, the health benefit because we know walking is a form of exercise. And so, and also for some people, it's purposeful because uh, that's, you know, you mentioned earlier their own familiar environment. They are looking for something familiar in that environment. So, once they go into a long term care home that we also call nursing home here in Canada, it's like everything is strange, right? Everything is new and they just want that connection. And so for some of them, they just start working because they are looking for someone who is familiar. For some of them, they just want to be with their family members. They just miss their children, their grandchildren. Yeah. And, and so it's like really interesting uh, to see how persons living with dementia, they actually uh, describe wandering which is totally, totally, completely different from what we refer to as wandering. We see wandering as an aimless movement, a disruption, but to them, it's something that is really purposeful, something that they enjoy. That make I mean, now you've explained it in that way, it makes complete sense, isn't it? Is, is that there is that difference between their definition of purposeful or not. I mean, so fine. So say somebody living with dementia is looking for something. The fact that what they're looking for may not exist you know may not be something that they can go walk to or go get to it could be a uh their wife who's passed or, or go looking for something that's mm -hmm. that's not there it's still purposeful walking yeah. uh, mm -hmm. and so whether you then so is the natural reaction of these these nursing these care homes is that to try and limit uh, and the natural reaction i'm guessing is just to limit that 
And actually, are you suggesting that there are other strategies that you can use to allow this, but in a safe way, so you don't start locking doors or you know is that is that the approach is that the idea yes so that's the approach the recommendations uh, from my study one of the recommendations is that we should reconceptualize it reconceptualize the way we see wandering behavior so initially or traditionally we want to control that behavior because we are afraid they're gonna go missing but if you let them go out because some of them they enjoy uh how to do activities with supervision, of course, because we know um, the experience forgetfulness, uh, spatial uh, disorientation is another one. Uh, and so we can actually give supervised, you know, working programs. We can organize supervised working programs that they are able to go outside, they are able to enjoy activities that are meaningful to them. That's another way that we can, rather than say, oh, just sit down or don't go anywhere uh, because we're afraid you're going to go missing or you're going to miss your way. That is really not the right approach. And I know some of the interventions that we are seeing out there, non we refer to them as non-pharmacological interventions because you never want to use medication, right, uh, to sedate someone so that they don't move. And so some of them, we have technologies. So the use of GPS, uh, GPS devices, and we are seeing common these uh, devices being commonly used, uh, not even in long-term care homes, uh, family members, so that they will be able to kind of track. I don't like the word <laughs> or monitor the movements uh, of a person living with dementia. But at least the person has that freedom. They have the freedom to go outdoors. They have the freedom to enjoy nature. They have the freedom to do what they love doing. And so family members can monitor them that way and healthcare providers can monitor them that way. And if you say, oh, it looks like that a mom uh, is like is off track, then you can go look for them. So that way they'll be able to locate them quickly. And is this something that you then has to be very personalized? Because, of course, depending on somebody's um, so somebody's stage of dementia is, is I've, I've heard it referred to before as people um, kind of go into this autopilot. You know, we've all done it when you've been driving home and then suddenly you're home and go, oh, God, I don't remember the last three miles. You, you It happened. And so quite mm -hmm. often, is there is there a, a risk with facilitating or enabling this? How do you mitigate? What what things can you do to mitigate the risk, particularly as people's dementias are progressing to, to ones where they do need far more support? Because I guess a lot of people who listen to this are going, this is all good and well, but it's way too dangerous. I'm, I'm no way am I going to let my dad just go out for a walk because before you know it, he's going to be six miles away. He's not going to recognize the streets and I'm going to get a phone call from the police or some neighbor or they're going to find him and it, it's a problem. So what? how do you how do you decide? How do you manage that? I don't know, Hector, if this is something you've looked at or whoever. Yeah, I'll, I'll quickly elaborate on Busola's because I, I, I always learn from Busola. She's very passionate. She about really human, is. Oh, right, sorry, we're about, talking about like you're not you're here. You, yeah, you are no, no, very no. passionate, Busola. And she's, she's great uh, also bringing up this perspective or this lens of human rights. And um, that's something very important to consider when you put in place these strategies, right? Uh, how do you balance the autonomy and also the independence of the person living with dementia, because they want to continue to do uh, their, their the things that they love. And if 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 I'm a hiker or if I if I if I uh, my hobby is going for walks, that's something that I would like to continue to do. And and having these um, preventive me measures to 
you know, mitigate the risk because the risk will be always there. We'll, we live in a risk uh, ourselves every, every day, but uh, how you mitigate those risks uh, in order to um, prevent uh, these uh, things to happen. So I think that's a combination of uh, understanding the person needs, uh, but also keeping a balance with uh, uh, their human rights and, and recognizing and uh, being aware that um, even if the person uh, lives with dementia, uh, it is important that the person uh, acknowledge that the person can continue to do what they love. And uh, in order to promote that, well, there's many, many strategies and Pusola perhaps can elaborate on that, but uh, some, some of them, like for example, uh, alarm systems or, uh, you know, uh, dementia friendly uh, uh, communities, or um, even the simple things like having the, their information uh, close to them, like, you know, phone number or the addresses and, phone and uh, email or contact information in case of an emergency. So I think that's, uh, that's very important, but uh, I leave it to, to Fusola if you want to elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, sure. I can add more. We usually tell people it's not one size fits all. So exactly. it's That's important that we know that there are several strategies out there to mitigate the risks of the person going missing, you know, and all the consequences. We just want to be sure that we we are looking at the individual person, what their needs are. Assessment is really important and assessment is really important uh, and understanding them, you know, um, in, in long term care homes. Um, back in canada we used to do something that we call a life story a resident life story so you get information from the resident the family members to kind of get to know the person because it's really important that's how you can tailor uh the the um, strategies to what the person actually needs need uh needs and just like hector said there are several strategies out there uh we have the um, finding your way program uh, by the Osama Society here in Canada, and they focus more on increasing public awareness uh, of the risks of the persons living with dementia going missing and providing resources, as well as training for first responders. And also in many of our um, municipal police services, they run what we call vulnerable person registries. So this is the partner with programs such as the medical arts. I don't know if you've heard of medical arts, Adam, uh, yeah. but we have medical arts here. We have Project Lifesaver. And so family members can actually register their loved ones. Uh, I really don't like using the term vulnerable, uh, but anyone that is considered vulnerable, like persons living with dementia, you can put information, uh, you can register their information with police services, such as the physical description of the person, their habits, their behaviors, their specific needs, in case they go missing, where are the locations or where they frequent, they go. So this information is like, it's already there. And if the person goes missing, then they can just pull the vulnerable registry, um, you know, out and just see the information about a person. And that would help in locating the missing person quickly. And just to kind of quickly add, uh, another strategy is the alert system that I mentioned earlier that I will be working on. So alert systems, uh, we have this, like the state funded uh, silver alert programs, very common in the United States. And I think uh, maybe all the three states in the United States actually don't have the silver alert programs. Here in Canada, we have a citizen-led, which is kind of like a community-led uh, silver alerts. We call it the BC Silver Alerts, which is British Columbia Silver Alerts. And in Scotland, they have the Purple Alerts, which is an app-based uh, um, 
program for persons living with dementia, their family members or carers, as the UK people <laughs> call it, <laughs> that you can register information about the missing person. So these alert systems, uh, they, like I mentioned earlier, they are a form of technologies and they use uh, like mobile apps and public messaging systems to notify people, yes, in, when person within a geographic location, when a person goes missing, so that there will be, they will keep an eye out for the person. If they see the person, they can contact police services or family members. Like in the UK, you can actually contact, or in Scotland, you can contact family members streets using the app if you see the missing person. I see, which is clever. And that uses GP. So we, we haven't talked a lot about technology. We're just getting there now. And I, I know we've only got a couple of minutes left. But so how does GPS play a, a role in that then? Is this because that's been a controversial topic, hasn't it? Some people, you know, the idea of putting an air tag on somebody or something like that has been, some people I think think it's a brilliant idea and other people really hate it. It's a kind of an intrusion. Uh, how, where, where does this, how does that fit in? I can come in uh, yeah, before go. I jump in. Uh, but just to kind of be clear, our last system is, a, is different from the tagging or the tracking uh, technologies that we're talking about. But I will answer your question about, yes, there are a lot of controversies out there when it comes to tagging and tracking people's movement. We've seen ethical concerns being raised. So one is privacy. That's yeah. If you track, no matter how you try to sell it or how you try to sell it to people, people are still using it, but there is that ethical concern that it violates the person's privacy rights. And also there are concerns about dignity, uh, especially if the person is unaware of it. And another concern is, you know, we're talking about persons living with dementia. There is that general controversy that do they actually have the capacity to consent to the use of these tagging and tracking devices. And some people will argue that no matter what, they don't have the capacity. I believe that they have the capacity if you provide the information to them. So when they are being diagnosed with dementia, give them all the information about, I know some people will say it's really overwhelming because getting that diagnosis, you, your mind is raising through so many things. And so, but, it's okay, you can work with a person and the family members to give different information to them, you know, as the, as they progress. But I think this, this is some of the information that they need to know. They need to know the information about the risks of them going missing. If they go missing, what can they do? If they use tracking device, there are ethical concerns. So we need a balance between safety. We know we are always talking about safety. And as a healthcare provider, I can tell you that at I want my patients, my clients to be safe. I want my family members to be safe. And I think it's it's the same for everyone, but we need to balance that with their autonomy. Autonomy, that's the freedom of choice. Their freedom to say, yes, I will do this. I can live with risk or I choose not to do this. They should have that freedom to do that. And we should involve them. Absolutely in discussions, wherever, whatever stage they are at. I think it's so important that we involve persons living with dementia early on in discussions about, you know, all of these uh, technologies and strategies to mitigate the risk of them going missing. Absolutely. And that's been a theme for today as well, is about how you facilitate for, you know, to people to, to live uh, as as ordinarily as they can for as long as possible, according to how they previously, you know, lived before they got their diagnosis and, and 
being able to go out by yourself is a key part of that, isn't it? To, to have that autonomy. Thank you so much, uh, Bazola. Thank you for having uh, us. Uh, and Dr. Hex Perez from the University of Waterloo uh, for well, giving us you, some time this afternoon. We've shared your article there in the chat as well, which is uh, uh, from the conversation. People can find Thank that in so the much. chat that Hector shared with us. Thank you so much. And if you want to find out more and give these guys a follow on Twitter, you'll find their details on chatathon.uk. Um, and their links to all the guests are at the top of the page. Do give them a, a follow and, and check out their work. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. Adam. Thank you Thanks for having us. Bye-bye.